This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hello, Satellite Sisters and Misters. Join us on Sunday, April 11th for a very special Satellite Sisters virtual event to celebrate 20 years of sisterhood. All five sisters, Julie, Liz, Leanne, Monica, and Sheila, will share stories and recollections. There'll be an interactive audience quiz, Q&A, and lots of laughs, and probably a few tears because this is Satellite Sisters. <laughs> Thanks to our friends at Sixth and I for hosting this event. For more information and tickets, visit SatelliteSisters.com and click on the awesome celebration graphic right there on the homepage. Okay, let's do this together, sisters. Three, two, one. Bring, Bring your, your Satellite, satellite sister. sister. And we'll see you there. <laughs> You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a satellite sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. Welcome to Satellite Sisters. Great to be with you today. I'm Leanne Dolan here in Pasadena, California. I'm a writer and producer, and uh, I'm working on some new stuff, Liz. So that's exciting. As uh, on the writing front, it's exciting to be doing some rewrites. Enjoying that's it. Enjoying so it. So great. Of course, we cannot wait, but we know not to ask, right? <laughs> so whenever you're ready, Leanne, I know we know you will share it with the world. I'm Liz Dolan. I'm the middle sister. I'm here in my second bedroom slash home office and conducting a little bit of a science experiment here, Leanne. I don't understand why when I throw Swiss chard into a smoothie in the morning, it just congeals the whole thing. What's the food chemistry explanation for that? But whatever, it still tastes fine. That's me. It just sounds not good to me, but that, <laughs> I'm not a smoothie person. I'm okay. not a smoothie person. I would rather eat it sauteed, but I'm sure we have some green experts who could weigh in at the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Liz, we're going to talk about spice class. You and I took spice class this week with Claire Tanzi. And, that was um, fun. That was super was fun. It was. To see everyone on the Zoom was fun. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. I mean, I went with no camera because I was washing the dishes and taking spice class, but, um, but it was fun. Uh, also, we have a little Golden Globe talk. Um, we have to discuss Lady Gaga's dog napping. I mean, that's Must crazy. discuss dog napping. Wow. It's a crazy story. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of weeks ago, I assigned all of us. Oh, you may notice there's no Julie. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. When I got to mention Julie's off today. So it's just Liz and I, but we have a guest coming. But a couple of weeks ago, I assigned us the task of watching the Britney Spears documentary on Hulu produced by the New York Times. So Liz, you and I both watched that. Yes. And then I took one for the team. I've been watching the Woody Allen documentary, Allen versus Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to discuss that. I had okay. some specific reasons for watching that. And um, 
Wow, okay. it's something else. Because uh, I have then, specific reasons for not watching it, yeah, but I'm right. hoping you'll help me sort that out in my mind. Sure, sure. And then we have some entertaining sisters to lift us up at the end. You know, Always. we don't want to. We don't want to end on a end on a downer note. Mm -hmm. um, but here's here's oh we have Patty Callahan on. Boy, I'm not doing a good job for it for my. <laughs> Well, you just jumped right in. You were anxious to get started, right? Our guest is Patty Callahan. This is going to be fun. Really yeah. fun. Yeah, Patty is a writer. You know her from Friends and Fiction. She writes a lot of historical fiction, and so it's Women's History Month. So she has a couple of new pieces out that uh, really fit right into that theme. She has a wonderful audiobook on Florence Nightingale. Liz, you and I both listened to it. It's an Audible original, and it's great. So just a it's fascinating great. take on Florence Nightingale that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, and, and, and Audible original means if you're a subscriber, it's free. So yeah. like, don't miss if you already subscribe definitely listen right it's wonderful and then her latest book debuts next week it's called surviving savannah and it's about a shipwreck it's about quote the american titanic a ship that sank off the coast of savannah georgia in the 1800s and she's done an amazing job telling that story and putting it in context for today so looking forward to talking to patty later on in the show um, but first, Liz, we have to welcome a new member to the Dolan family. We're very happy to welcome baby Luca, Luke, <laughs> Luca Saparita. Yay, our niece Megan had a baby boy this weekend, and that is exciting. Her second boy, her third child. Welcome, baby Luca. Isn't that a cute name? It's such a cute name. Luca Dolan Saparita. So, oh, is that what it is? Yeah, the middle name is Dolan. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, Did let's I miss that email? Did I? <laughs> was I off the chain? Oh. That's what the email said. There, am I making that up? No. Anyway, but Luca is just, I just love the name Luca. Just, <laughs> Very cute name. Fun so to, mother say. and baby are well, as of the rest of the family. Congratulations to Greg and Megan and big sister Mina and big brother John. That's great. And people, people may know Megan a little bit because she's a contributor to our book, You're the Best, A Celebration of Friendship. Megan right. was one of the next gen uh, women who uh, contributed essays to that book. So check it out. Okay. All right. So we took spice class this weekend, Liz, from the satellite sister foodologist, Claire Tansy, right? <laughs> right. The author of Dinner Uncomplicated and Uncomplicated. We love Claire's, you know, point of view here at Satellite Sisters. So you and I both signed up independently for the spice class. And it was a one hour Zoom spice class on how to work with spices, everything from buying them to storing them to combining them for flavor combinations to cooking with them. And Liz, Apparently, I've been doing everything wrong with spices oh, really? my entire life. I oh. mean, and you're I, an actual cook for me. I've been doing everything wrong, but that was to be expected. I mean, I mean, Claire has strong thoughts on spices, first of all. And like, I've been storing them next to the stove. Well, that's no good. I've yeah. been keeping them in glass bottles. Well, that's no good. Mm -hmm. I've been, you know, just keeping them in the bags that I buy them in. Well, that's no good. I've been using the Italian, like the dried Italian spice mix for 20 years as if yeah. it's gold. And she's like, it doesn't taste like anything. It's like it's put, you're putting dust on your food. <laughs> yeah, well, when you put it that way, Claire, that does seem like something I shouldn't do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've always been mistrustful of garlic powder. Apparently not. Apparently there are many uses for it. When fresh garlic could burn, you don't want that. You want garlic powder. I mean, it just went on and on. I thought, I, I just have a lot to learn. I'm going to literally have to clean out 
my entire, you know, Mm-hmm. my entire spice thing and start again. And I saw several other satellite sisters felt the same way. They were just going to throw everything out and start again. I have to find a cool place. I have yeah. to find some metal jars and uh-huh. I just apparently have to toss out my beloved Italian spice mix. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do, Liz, but I can do it. I can be strong and do it. What'd you learn? What'd you learn? From well, she did say at one point, if you have spices in your, what I call my spice museum, you know, if you have spices in your spice drawer that belonged to your mother, you should probably toss them out. <laughs> and mm, I think I'm guilty of that. I, I went back in, I was like, hey, I think these bay leaves were part of mom's legacy to me. <laughs> That's not something I ever would have bought. She's very anti-bay leaf too. There's no reason for is. them. That was a strong statement against yes. bay leaves. And yes. I, I agree. They are hazardous. I've never really known how to use them or what they offer. So now I'm just throwing them out and I'm never okay. buying them again. But um, yeah, that anyway, so that was, was fun. And the other observation I'd make really, who would have thunk a year ago at this time that I would have been taking an online class about using spices okay just want to observe there's just no yeah here here we are where here we are and i was loving it so thank you claire thank you just super entertaining it was really fun she has a whole bunch of other classes coming up it was a good way to to kill an hour and to kill my um to kill my hopes and dreams claire thank you so no, I learned a lot and I'm going to put it into action and okay. it's going to start this weekend, clean everything out and start all over again on the spice front. She did say, and I quote, uh, cinnamon is the Taylor Swift of spices. And that's, <laughs> that's just good writing. Because <laughs> so. it just goes with everything, which I, mm, yeah, right? Crossover. It can be yeah. a savory, it can be a sweet. She can do it all. So yep, cinnamon, Taylor Swift of spices. Okay. Well, thank you, Claire. That was very entertaining. And, you know, Sunday morning in our time zone, what else are you doing? Eh, anyway, but the afternoon, um, late afternoon, was, it was Golden Globes time here uh, on the West Coast. And Leah, and I know that Sunday after Spice class was mainly a writing day for you. Right. So you didn't take in the full Golden Globes experience live. Um, no. We had a sister's text chain going, of course, but you know, you made a point of saying you would not be responding to the tests. <laughs> I'd be reading, but not participating. <laughs> I like that Julie requested to be in on the text chain this time, <laughs> because normally we don't think of Julie as an awards watcher, but she, she wanted in on the text chain. She wanted in on that. So I'm just going to give you a quick one-liner, really of the biggest fashion headline of the night, which was... Men in turtlenecks, Leanne. It's mm. men in turtlenecks. Right at the top of, in the pre-show, you have Leslie Odom Jr. in this amazing lime green turtleneck. And I'm thinking, what is happening here? That looks amazing. <laughs> that looks amazing. And then later on in the show, Dan Levy, sequined turtleneck, Leanne. You know, he's, he's up in the ante on the turtleneck. And then there were several other men in turtlenecks. So, you know, I just wanted you to focus group this in your home you have three males that are in and around your life. Now, I know your husband can rock a pair of Bermuda shorts like nobody's business, but, <laughs> but I'm not imagining him in a turtleneck, but I'm thinking your stylish older son. Yes. Uh, 
you know, he cares a lot about his clothes. I'm just wondering how he feels about the turtleneck. That's right. All. I will, I'll ask them, you know, they like crossover fashion. They're not afraid of stuff that, you know, yeah. maybe men didn't wear before and turtlenecks are great. And it is like a, it's dressier than an, uh, than a collared shirt, but it's not a tie. There is something about the binding nature of turtlenecks though, that they both may, oh. may personally reject, but not object on principle. Okay. I thought Dan Levy looked great. I saw he looked amazing. He looked great. And Leslie Odom Jr. is insanely handsome and he could he could wear anything and look fantastic so uh, but i will i'll get on them on the turtleneck thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i had to laugh the morning after i was looking at the photos and there was that photo of um of my girl jodie foster in her pajamas with her dog and her wife and Mm -hmm. i kept staring at the photo and then i realized oh my gosh jodie foster's wife and my husband have the same haircut they That's why it's, it's very, I was like, what is familiar? She looks so familiar. And I was like, oh, my husband's COVID haircut has grown out to be kind of silver foxy. And, yeah. and so, right. and then sitting next to it, I was like, huh, there you go. Barrick has the same haircut as Jerry Foster's wife. <laughs> so may not realize the like added level of why this is funny to us. It's because for... For much of your life, people have been telling you how much you look like Jodie Foster. Yes, right? yes, yes. I, I didn't want to say that out loud because it seems <laughs> insane. But um, uh, yes, like literally my entire life. And it, I've actually been called Jodie Foster because she was at Yale and, and the same. I was not at Yale, but I used to go to New Haven a lot. Yes. So my whole life, people have been saying that even people who know Jodie Foster. So when I saw the picture of her and her wife. I was like, my husband looks like Jodie Foster's wife. <laughs> That is incredible. That seems <laughs> totally predictable to me. Uh, all right. Well, I do have um, one Golden Globe fashion note of my own that I'm going to put in this week's Little Victories report from me. You know, um, during the current unpleasantness, I managed to also break my knee and my leg. And so that is added unpleasantness. And so I've just slowly been working through the days and weeks and trying to count on the little victories of slowly healing and getting back on my feet, which will still be a little while. Anyway, I decided uh, for the Golden Globes to put on a dress. That's what I did. Oh, gosh. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I mean, I just feel terrible about all the clothes I'm wearing, (laughs) but... (laughs) But why do I care? I cannot leave my home. I can't, I can't do anything. I can't even get into my own living room. So, right. you know, so I, why would I dress right. up? But for the Golden Globes, my next door neighbors, who I've talked about a lot, uh, Bernard and Deborah, the kind neighbors who took me to the emergency room with the, with the broken leg, they invited me over to watch the Golden Globes in a very COVID-safe environment. They have a very large living room, opened the sliders at one end, all of the windows, which we can do here in Southern California, even, even in March. Um, so I put on a dress and I rolled myself over to Deborah and Bernard's and we watched the Golden Globes together. Liz, so- that's huge. That's a huge victory, but that's great. <laughs> yeah. Was it a dressy dress or? <laughs> You're- who, are you asking me who was I wearing? Yes. <laughs> I who guess I, I am. I guess I, I am. Who was it? Lance and Lian. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I really wanted a comfy dress. And, yeah. You know, just a comfy dress, something that covered my knee, you know, which still looks pretty gruesome in places. So anyway, but it was super comfy and we had a delightful time. Um, the 
Thai food delivered, otherwise fully masked. Anyway, it was delightful. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) That was my little victory uh, for the week. On the other end of the spectrum, though, I had a little meltdown, which is, you know, when I first did all this damage to myself, I was very lucky that you helped me get my apartment all organized now that I was going to be wheelchair bound. Monica was here. We just, we sort of, we reorganized a lot of things so I, I would have access to my stuff, especially when I was home alone. And so essentially my dining room looks like a Marriott Courtyard breakfast bar, <laughs> right? We yeah. just, and it was necessary at the time. So the microwave is in the dining room. The coffee maker in the dining room. Uh, toaster in the dining room. Just a lot of things in the dining room. Yes. And on a bar area, yeah. like on a, <laughs> on a buffet, in a, in a buffet setting. A mm-hmm. buffet setting, which is what reinforces the Marriott Courtyard vibe. Yes. For the whole, yes. For the whole thing. And paper like, plates. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> It's everything short of canisters full of colorful cereal, you know, because that's because I don't eat that. Anyway, (laughs) Sunday I was sitting and that's the only place in the main part of my apartment I can sit right there because, as I've mentioned, I can't get into my own living room because there are three steps between my dining room and my living room. And that's a bridge too far for me in my current situation. Anyway, I'm sitting there. I'm looking at this bar and I just thought. I cannot spend one more week looking at my microwave. I just can't do it anymore, Leanne. I yeah. just, I'm just, I can't. I mean, maybe it's because I've been laying in bed watching too many episodes of The Home Edit, or oh. even, even yes, I've gone back to Fixer Upper. Right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, just, yeah. You're gonna get a big clock. <laughs> um, Lizzo, thinking- you're ready. You're ready to move on. That, yes. That's that. You're ready to move on. Right. I think that could be a good a good sign, actually. Yeah, I do too. So yeah. my project for this week, I do have helpers that come in to help me get physical stuff done. We're putting the kitchen back in the kitchen this week, Leanne. That's I, what we're doing. It's a big just, idea. Yeah. I just cannot, I cannot spend one more day looking at my microwave. It's just and, not. And then you can use that other, that buffet table for like flowers or something positive, yes. something yes. that gives you some joy. Right. Yes. <laughs> I mean- it gave me joy to be able to make coffee for the first right. time, right. but I'll still be able to do that in my kitchen. I don't, anyway, so, mm. so that's it. I think it's a turning point. I even mentioned this to my occupational therapist who comes in on the weekends for a little extra help. And she thought it was a really good sign of my emotional state. Okay. And I was like, <laughs> I cannot look at my microwave one more second. She thought that was healthy. So I'm going with that. <laughs> good. That's exciting, Liz. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Keep us updated. <laughs> okay, but now, speaking of updated, now we really need to tackle the question, Leanne, that most of America is asking themselves, or or should be, which is, what really happened in the Lady Gaga dog napping case? Wow. I, that was a know. crazy case, Liz. It's just... so and Crazy fact, and terrible, yeah. Yes. The fact that the dogs got returned makes me very happy but also wildly suspicious that, there, <laughs> that there's just a big piece of this story that we do not yet know. So, but first of all, I gotta say, welcome home, Asia, Koji, and Gustav. Okay, that's, that's the important thing. The dogs made it home. Oh, I guess the important thing also is that the dog walker, Ryan, yes. is yes. healing, you know, cause he, it looked like he really fought for those dogs, which is, which is what you would want your dog walker to do, right? But 
not laid down their life. For I mean, that's a high level. Yeah. So if you haven't been following this story, Lady Gaga is out of the country uh, filming a movie in Rome with Brad Pitt. So I don't care what that Brad means. Pitt. I'm going to see it. I mean, no wonder <laughs> she didn't rush home to find her dogs. I mean, woo. Okay. So, uh, so her dog walker was walking all three dogs. What we know from a security camera is like two guys in a white car got out at gunpoint, dog napped the dogs and shot the dog walker in the chest slash arm. And he had to yell to uh, to neighbors to call 911. So it was very dramatic. And then an, un, an unknown woman just, then Lady Gaga offered a half a million dollar reward. And, uh, and an unknown woman just dropped the dogs off at the police station like 36 hours later. Right. And according to the LA Times, uh, the unknown woman says she found the dogs just tied to a pole. Hmm. So we'll just. I've used that. that excuse. Who amongst <laughs> us hasn't? <laughs> these tied to hey, I just came across these dogs walking, walking <laughs> around West Hollywood. So there's that. And again, I don't like to judge people's behavior in this situation, but if I'm Lady Gaga and she ordered the, she offered the half a million dollar reward, no questions asked. But if I'm Ryan Fisher laying in bed with the gunshot wound, I want some questions asked. Yeah. <laughs> I think questions yeah. need to be asked here, Leanne. I, <laughs> I'm, I want the questions to be asked and answered. But the most important thing is, and this is where it, I turn to you, can we assume that somebody is probably already, already writing this movie because this is one of those quirky, dumb... Um, criminal movies right that's what yeah, i mean about. i let's hope it's tina fey i mean let's hope she has that draft done by the end of the week yeah <laughs> so yeah i mean or, or the podcast that's what i wanted immediately oh. was an eight-part podcast but oh. yes the the dopey criminal thing uh would also be good now, yeah. i am kind of curious it's very suspicious i i don't i yeah. think there's a lot more to be learned in this story liz okay that's what i All right. Well, That's we're looking forward to that. Even a totally fictionalized version, I don't care. <laughs> I just think this has all the makings of just a, a boffo series of some kind. It is, it is Hollywood. Maybe and, Brad Pitt could star as the dog walker. <laughs> <laughs> or Bradley Cooper. I'd be okay with Bradley Cooper. Either of the Brads. It's good <laughs> casting. Anyway, so, but most of all, again, we're very happy that Ryan Fisher is getting better. We're happy that Asia, Koji, and Gustav are home safely because yes. that must have been super scary. Yes. All right. Stay with us. We're the Satellite Sisters. Up next, we're talking to Patty Callahan Henry about her new book, Surviving Savannah, also about the life of Florence Nightingale. And Patty started her career, Liz, as an oncology nurse. This so she went from nurse to writer. So we're going to talk to her about that transition too. Stay with us. But first, we want to thank a couple of sponsors. We're so grateful to have ButcherBox as a sponsor of Satellite Sisters. We're grateful, Liz, because delicious cuts of meat and fish come to our house, to our front door. They're frozen in perfectly proportioned, you know, pieces, and then we can cook them for a delicious dinner. What's not to be grateful for? I know. I know. And the best part is, like, okay, let me use last night as an example. It got to be like 530. I'd been working in the house all day, hadn't really gotten out, hadn't done any shopping. I'm like, oh, what am I going to have for dinner? And then I opened my freezer drawer and I had so many excellent butcher box choices. You know, there was a little New York strip there. There were some scallops there. I actually went with the chicken tenders, Liam. I love those chicken tenders. They're so cuts. delicious. I wouldn't have thought I would ever become a chicken tenders girl. 
They are so perfect for exactly the kind of night I was having last night. So thank you, ButcherBox, for the convenience. Not just for kids, chicken tenders. No, they're not. No. They're just delicious. Yeah, delicious. We are talking about ButcherBox, of course. It's the ultimate convenience. Right to your doorstep, free shipping always, and you can curate those boxes so you get exactly what you want. And of course, it's high quality cuts at an amazing value. And you get these great exclusive member deals. So you never really know what's going to be in my box this month. You get to choose some fun stuff every month. So thank you, ButcherBox, for making our lives more convenient. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. ButcherBox is offering Satellite Sisters listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential. Three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sisters and use code sisters to choose your free offer and get $20 off. Butcherbox.com sisters. Use code sisters. Thanks, ButcherBox. We're back. We're the Satellite Sisters. We're so happy to welcome Patty Callahan to Satellite Sisters. She is the best-selling author of both contemporary and historical fiction, including the New York Times bestseller, Becoming Mrs. Lewis. Her next book, I Have Read, previewed, it's called Surviving Savannah. It comes out next week. So we're getting her early in her tour. We're excited. She's also one of the founders of Friends in Fiction, a community of Southern writers delighting readers with their work, their interviews, their column. It's fantastic. Patty, we're so glad to have you on Satellite Sisters. I am so happy to be here. From the moment we all met, I was like, I want to be a Sat Sister. <laughs> you are. Let you me are. in the club, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's been really fun to watch what you all are doing with Friends in Fiction, but I just wonder for you, how does it feel to be a one-woman content factory now? You're just, you've got books, you've got podcasts, you've got the Facebook community, you're doing a column. Are you enjoying your new role as a multi-hyphenate, Patty? Is that, is that cool? Is that's hilarious, a multi-hyphenate. I love it because for me, as for you all, I know the Satellite Sisters are the same way which is that telling stories in every way we can is, is what we want to do. We don't want to be confined to, you can only be a storyteller in books. You can only be a storyteller in podcasts. You can only be a storyteller on your Facebook show. To have the ability to tell stories in different ways through different means is, is fantastic. At least we're not pinholed. Do you think it's changed your writing a little bit, having the live show on Facebook and interacting with four other women and then the writers and, and really doing like first person interaction with uh, your fan base? Has it changed your writing any, Patty? Oh, wow. That is such a fantastic question. You know, when I get asked, what is your favorite thing about being published through the years? Um, I, my first book came out in 2004. So my answer is always the community. It's yes, it's fantastic seeing your name on a book. And of course it, you know, when you hit the list or you win an award, but really it's the community. And so I've always relied emotionally and work-wise on this incredible community of writers. So this has only strengthened that. So if it has done anything, I think it has made, or I hope it has made, my writing better. I know that it has made it more prolific, but that's also in tandem 
with the fact that we've been in partial lockdown and right. home more and not traveling. So, but I'm inspired. Every author we talk to, like you, Lee, and when you came on the show, it leaves a writing tip behind. And every week I am inspired by what people tell us. And so I, I feel that just like the community you all have built, it only inspires us to do better. Not necessarily more, but better for sure. Right, right. You know, what surprised me when I was reading your bio was that you started your professional life as a pediatric oncology nurse. And how did you transition to writing? You've probably answered this question a million times, but I mean, I think that's amazing. Oh, I'll, I'll answer it as many times as I'm asked. I think it's fascinating that we, and, and informative that we can change our minds about who we are. And yet at the same time, we're always who we were. So yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't, yeah. I, I mean, we shift and we change and, and, and to think that we're not allowed to or can't is, is something I had to break free of when I did that. And there are a lot of writers who were once nurses. And when I oh really Sumon, I didn't know that I didn't yeah know that. Elizabeth Berg, oh. Sumon Kid there except I think she was in um, psych psychology but there are a lot of of writers who were in the medical caring field, and I think that when I give that a lot of thought as to why, it's because as a nurse you are front and center to the human drama. You are front and center to empathy and to stories and to the way lives unfold and what tragedy does and what change brings to a family. And so I think a lot of times we want to take that to the page, to the story. Well, that explains why your work is just filled with a lot of humanity. <laughs> so oh, you're just, so you're nice. just, you know, you're nice. Nurses are nice and there's just a lot of humanity in your work as that's opposed sweet. to the bitterness that uh, some of the rest of us feel. That oh, oh, oh I think that's not a word I would use to describe <laughs> any of you, but I hear you. Well, it's Women's History Month. And one of the amazing things is over the last couple of months, you've released both an audio book, an audible original, which we loved, the story of Florence Nightingale called Wild Swan, and this new book, Surviving Savannah, that comes out, which is uh, about a piece of history. So we want to start with Wild Swan. I mean, it's about Florence Nightingale. As a nurse and a writer, have you been just dying to write about Florence Nightingale? What inspired this? It's, it's crazy, as you know where inspiration strikes, you would think that all these years I would have been dying to write a story about a nurse. Yeah. But it yeah. was actually the opposite. I had- It was like a no-brainer, actually. <laughs> right, I write, and I would get asked all the time, when are you gonna write about a nurse? And I'd be like, well, I don't, I don't wanna write about my life. I wanna write about other lives, other unlived lives I've had. And I was in London, and I had an afternoon and I walked over to the Florence Nightingale Museum and I walked through it. It is in the hospital in London. Oh, and oh wow. I was completely mesmerized by her story. And it's the, and, and I love that this is Women's History Month because the women's stories seem to finally be rising to the surface as if the recent tides are bringing them back. It's, it's why I wrote about Joy Davidman and becoming Mrs. Lewis. It's mm -hmm. why I wrote about Florence Nightingale. It's why I give the 
shipwreck story in Surviving Savannah, the women's voices instead of yeah. the captain or the sailors. I, I give the voices to the women. So I, when I found out about Florence's early life and how she had to break free of the Victorian aristocratic upbringing, how she was forbidden to be the only thing she wanted to be, that's what was interesting to me. Because yeah. women, yeah, women's history isn't interesting in the retelling over and over of the mythology we've heard. Mm -hmm. It's interesting in the parts they don't tell us. Right. Patty, it's Liz. The part of that, that, that was a revelation to me that nursing was considered, you know, like equal with her parents consider it close to prostitution, actually wanting to go work as a nurse. So, so that was shocking. But one of the things I loved about the way you tell the story in Wild Swan is at the very beginning, you have Florence Night Nightingale meeting with Queen Victoria to talk about how to fix the hospital system uh, in the UK after the war. And you point out that these are two women in their 30s just sitting across from each other, talking to each other about this in a world where most women had no power at all. That was just a revelation to me that they had they met in real life. Is that, did that happen? Oh, yes. And, and you just gave me chills when you recounted that. I got that you know, there's chills on your arms and legs. I was like, oh, because when I found that out, Liz, I felt the same way you just described it. I felt like, why has this been left out? Right. Why, why do we not know about this? Queen Victoria was a huge fan of Florence Nightingale's, invited her to Balmoral, gave her a, a, that pin I described, that brooch, mm -hmm. had her stay at Balmoral for a week and listened to her. And because of Florence Nightingale, they, that probe into the conditions during the Crimean War was launched and the entire hospital system changed. So why do we not know that part of the story? Why do we only know the mythology of these things? Mm -hmm. So that's why I wanted to write it. Right. And even the name, you're like, oh, you're such a Florence Nightingale has just become almost a dismissive. And I was mm -hmm. like, people should be talking about Florence Nightingale every day after listening to that. Plus, <laughs> I love that you feel that way. That's great. Plus, Cynthia Arrivo read the audiobook. Oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah. It's fantastic. If people aren't familiar with Audible Originals, they tend to be shorter audiobooks. So they're, I think yours is about two and a half or three hours. You know, Tony Award winner, Cynthia Revo. I mean, it's just such a fantastic listening experience. I would, I think, a family car trip, mother-daughter listen, because Florence and her mom, they had some issues, you know? <laughs> you think? Issues. Yeah. But that oh must God. have been a thrill to hear Cynthia Revo read the book. When I turned on the sample they sent me, I forgot I wrote it. That is how good that is how good her voice is. I was like, whoa. And I was like, wait, those are my words that I wrote. But yes, she's astounding reading this book. It's like listening to someone sing a song. It's right. Incredible. Yeah. No, is it's mesmer it's mesmerizing. Her read is mesmerizing. I, you know what, Patty, one of the hangups for me about historical, people have asked me, are you ever going to write historical fiction? And I'm like, I would have no idea how to do the dialogue. Like, I feel like I throw in a privy, you know, in the first sentence, <laughs> totally <Yes>. off. <laughs> it just is really hang up for me. Um, how do you get into the head of those characters 
but also in their time frame. Like you read the books, your new one, Surviving Savannah, is a great example of you have a you know contemporary storyline, a historian, which I love, love the storylines about historians, you know, digging up research on the shipwreck. But then you also have the voices of the women who were shipwrecked from 150 years earlier. How do you literally get into their head with the dialogue in particular? Is that a certain kind of research you do? That is a very specific kind of research, and I get hung up on it too. So, Leanne, you can definitely write there. Learn, yes. So, what I do at first is just write it the way I would write it, as I try to find the story. I don't try to to talk in their voice yet when I first get started, but the way for all three of the my historical works. I have been fortunate enough that there are journals and letters left left by these women. Okay. And when you read enough of that, you get the cadence of their voice. So for Joy Davidman, it was her poetry. For Florence, she left behind. I, I can't even read everything Florence left behind. And she had that fantastic little book she wrote called Cassandra, which, you know, inspired tons of feminist writing after she was gone, Mm. including Virginia Woolf's book, A Room of One's Own. And her, her cadence and her language in those books lets me know how she spoke. And the same for the shipwreck. I found one pages long heart-wrenching journal entry by the woman and an accounting of those five days and five nights floating at sea by my main character. And in reading that, I could, I heard her, you read it enough times, you start to hear their, their, not literally, I'm not insane, but there's a certain, (laughs) there's a certain cadence. So for me, it has to do with reading their own words to know how they express themselves. That is fascinating to me that Mm -hmm. you write just, you just write it first and then you kind of go back and in the polish or in the rewrites. Oh, wow. That's okay. That's a, that's a good tip. That's a tip to clip for right. There you go. Well, Leanne, I think, I think as you know, because I, you know how much I love the Sweeney sisters. Um, I wrote to you before we even met to tell you how much I loved it. And so I know, you know, this one, you have, the most important thing is to know their emotional journey, yeah. right? Yeah. To know what they want and where they're going. And you can write once you know that, and that takes its own kind of research. But once you know that, you can start to write their story and then figure out their language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this book, Surviving Savannah, what drew you to that story? It's, you know, you refer to it as the American Titanic and some of the publicity stuff. I had never heard of it. So, you, you know, you write historical fiction, you could pick from anything. What was it a specific about this story that you thought, yes, that's the next book? I didn't think that's the next book at first, which is the funny part, because sometimes ideas come to us and we dismiss them mm-hmm. until we don't. And that was this story. And a local friend of mine who is born and bred, Bluffton, South Carolina, knows the waterways better than he knows the streets probably, kept telling me about this story. And I kept saying, that's so nice. I don't write shipwreck stories. 
And because you know, <laughs> there's only one, it's the Titanic, <laughs> yeah, right. there's and we've all seen one. it. It's been there's, done. There's one and done, or you know, maybe we add the Lufthansa. So I just felt, you know, that it wasn't my quote kind of story, but of course it was because it's not about the shipwreck; it's about right. the people on the ship. And as I started to look into it just to make him happy and say, yes, I read the article you gave me. I read the article and I got those chill bumps, the ones we know and we can either ignore or follow. I call it curiosity. And I wanted to know a little bit more. Uh, I, for When my better angels are in charge, I've learned <laughs> to follow my curiosity. And I started to do some research and discovered this family of 11 who boarded together. Now I have a place in Bluffton and my daughter went to college in Savannah. So the whole novel and the people who boarded this ship and the stories behind it are all in Savannah. And I started to get more curious. I was three weeks into my research, doing some research on the family, trying to decide what the book might be about if I wrote it. And I ran across a headline that said, Pulaski found by Endurance Exploration Group. Well, oh. I, I know. Oh, so that, the, oh, the discovery of the ship, oh, happened right when you were researching. Oh my gosh. Three weeks in. That and seems like a, a sign, sign from the universe. It's a sign. That's a, a sign, Patty. Oh, yeah. I was, I was like, okay, I hear you. I hear you. I'm doing it. <laughs> so while they were bringing up the lost treasure and artifacts, I was over on the other side bringing up the lost stories. And so I just braided those two things together. And the entire time I was writing the book, I was working with the shipwreck hunters. So all the things you read in the novel that were found and belonged to the passengers oh, yeah. were, were all real. All oh real. gosh. Oh wow, that gives me goosebumps. I can't now great. I have now I have goosebumps. Yeah, it's great. No, it's really I well I loved the contemporary storyline of the historian, but now I love it even more. And then, you know, Patty you know, adds layers and layers of character and and journey for that uh for that character as well. But it surprised me, Patty, it's a really contemporary look though at gender, race, class, the long hard legacy of slavery for both whites and blacks in Savannah. Like there's a lot to this book. You weave a lot of story into this and a lot of history, some of which is hard. Some of which is hard to hard to to write about, I'm sure. Oh, so hard to write about and so hard to reconcile mm -hmm. and so hard not to gloss over. Right. The South is very good at um, the, the mythology of things, just like we were talking about Florence Nightingale. So the mythology of the antebellum South and the big hoop skirts and the, the beauty of things before the Civil War, forgetting to look at the hard parts, forgetting to look the other way. And one of the most astounding things I learned during my research was how invaluable, how absolutely necessary our museums are. Mm. They are the visual storytellers of our country. And I could not, this story would not be what it is without the museums of Savannah, mm. from the Georgia Historical Society to the Ships of the Sea. But there is one museum called the Owen Thomas House and Slave Quarters in Savannah. 
and they were deliberate. It's one of the Telfair museums. They were deliberate in restoring the slave quarters so that you could see the truth and it wouldn't be covered up just while you took a tour of the beautiful house. Right. And I interviewed the woman who ran that. Her name is Shannon Browning Mullis. And I knew that I had to address that in some small part, even though that's not what my novel is about. Right. I couldn't turn away from it either, that it's complicated and that we, there's, there's the truth of the early South and there's the mythology and we have to, in history and historical fiction, look at the fuller story and not just the story we want to see. And that's hard. Well, very cleverly, you have the, you know, you have the historian character in the book, you know, reconciling that too. Like that, that's built into her storyline and other things from the past. So I appreciated that. And I think Savannah is a town I have never been. So it's one of those places I'd like to go, but it's certainly romanticized, you know, people definitely. Uh, so I don't think you, you address it, but you don't take the romance out of Savannah. It's a hard truth that Savannah has to face. I, I just thought it was really well done. I commend you. Oh, I thought you. it was really well done. Um, we know you have to go. Uh, you also have a ridiculously full bolt, uh, virtual book tour starting next week. <laughs> I mean, I've seen your schedule. I'm concerned, Patty. Do you have enough tunic tops for the next three weeks? <laughs> I know, right? Do you I have just... enough? Do you have enough ring lights and tunic? <laughs> Do you have enough, enough jewel-toned tops? <laughs> I mean, of Patty, Leon is a pro in this area. I mean, last year when the Sweeney sisters came out, that was all just being invented. And people just had to figure it out for themselves. Now, at least, you know what to do. You know, you you know how many tunics tops to yeah. get. To stock so up. hilarious. That is so funny that you said that because I was lining them up. Oh my gosh, I'm laughing so hard. Y'all are y'all are awesome. You are my sisters. You're amazing. Well, thank you so much for stopping here. First, uh, so kicking off Women's History Month for us. We can't recommend these books enough. The new novel, Surviving Savannah, it's out next week, but you can order it today. Don't be shy. And then if you're over at Audible or you've considered Audible in the past, you don't want to miss Wild Swan, the Audible original there about Florence Nightingale. All right, Patty, thank you so much for being here. We wish you the best of luck with this book. You're going to knock him dead. Good guy. Oh, good good luck. <laughs> thank you, Patty. Bye. At Satellite Sisters, we love the products from OseaMalibu.com. Don't we, Liz? I mean, love it's seaweed infused moisture just coming at us 24 7. I feel like it is a major pillar of my entire wellness program, Leanne, or the Osea products. Anything seaweed infused, that has to be good for you, right? And it feels so good going on and smells so delicious. And they, it really lasts. You know, other moisturizers promise that it's going to work for days. No, the Osea, like, moisture duo, it is working for days. I it mean, is. It's it incredible. Is. We love the Andaria Algae Body Oil. We talked mm. about that over and over mm. again. We love the Andaria Algae Body Butter. I mean, that is indulgent and buttery rich. Liz, it's clinically proven to hydrate for 72 hours. 72 really? hours, Liz. I love okay. that. Yeah. And then and then what about the anti-aging body balm? Have you tried that? The more balm, the better in my <laughs> life, I say. And the Mega Moisture Duo. You're going to want to check that out. You get the body oil and the body lotion together, and it makes your skin visibly firmer. Oh, 
That is a yeah. dream come true to satellite sisters and misters everywhere, isn't it? This is the time of year to really be thinking about the moisturizing. <laughs> okay. So we want you to check out all the wonderful products at Osea. Glow from the inside out with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Satellite sisters, misters, misters, you're going to get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code SATSISTERS at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com, and Osea is spelled O-S-E-A. OseaMalibu.com and use code SATSISTERS for 10% off. All right, Liz. Uh, oh, the big April 11th event. It's oh, exciting. Yeah, We've yeah, sold yeah. quite a few tickets. Oh, it's going to be great, isn't it? I know. It was very exciting because we announced it last week with the special promo code for the insiders, which would be everyone who's listening to this. And then we got a report at the end of the week how many tickets it sold. And we were super excited. <laughs> we just couldn't believe it. I mean. I think every event we've ever had at Satellite Sisters, when people say, how many people do you think are coming? We're like, 10? I don't know. <laughs> Ten. Sixth and I believes in us. And we believe in Sixth and I. So again, uh, we thank them for their platform, being, being able to bring this virtual show to a wide audience. We are really looking forward to this. It's Sunday, April 11th. It's in the late afternoon on the West Coast or the early evening on the East Coast. It's all five sisters uh, coming to you. It's a one-hour show, and we're going to do some fun Q&A and some audience interaction and some giveaways and some trivia. We're still working on the exact outline, but mm -hmm. it's going to be boffo. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Yeah. Sheila, Monica, Julie's going to be there. And a lot of Satellite Sisters and Misters are going to be there. So no. that is very exciting. People you, are really getting in on the action and it's not expensive. No, it isn't. It's yeah. And it's, it's great. It's a, it's a modestly priced ticketed event. It's $12 a ticket mm -hmm. or Liz, we have one special merchandise opportunity we <laughs> opportunity did. that mm -hmm. we've been working on. Um, I'm only laughing because I loaned the Pashmita to my son's girlfriend this weekend. She was like, this is really nice. I was like, well, you know, if for $75, you get this and a ticket to our virtual event. Event. Yes, we have a solid gold satellite sister pashmina that we're offering. It's a cashmere slash nylon pashmina. It's really soft, high quality, and a beautiful creamy color. It's yes. not, it's not white, white, and it's not ivory. It's in between. It's a beautiful creamy color. Mm -hmm. And we are going to embroider on them in gold, solid gold satellite sister. So for $75 plus a service fee, you get the pashmina, a ticket to the event, and, and the, the chance to be part of the Solid Gold Satellite Sisterhood. So yeah. it's, it's, this is kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Or maybe I shouldn't, maybe we will do it again. But this is the first-in-a-lifetime thing. We just wanted something special and a little high-end. But no matter what, even if a pashmina is not your thing, you can still participate, watch the show for 12 bucks, everybody in. We want all the sisters and misters we can possibly get. We have spread links around everywhere, but the easiest thing to do to find the Sixth and I ticketing platform is to go to SatelliteSisters.com. Right on the homepage, you'll see a big graphic of the five sisters. It'll say 20 years of sisterhood. You click on that and you'll be taken to the Sixth and I website. They're the host, the nonprofit arts organization that is hosting us. So they are the host of the event and the ticketing is through them. Uh, but we're very excited. So that's April, Sunday, April 11th. We'd love to see you there. All right, Liz, we're going we're gonna to talk about some entertainment stuff, a couple of documentaries in the news. Uh, yeah. Basically, we watched for you. So, <laughs> yes. 
Because <laughs> these are kind of hard subjects, these two things. They're hard subjects, but, you know, the, the Britney documentary and the uh, Alan Farrow documentary. So are we starting with Britney? Yeah, let's start with Britney. So this is the New York Times produced documentary. It's on Hulu and it examines, the heart of the documentary examines the current conservatorship of Britney Spears. She's been living under a court ordered conservatorship for 12 years now. And the doc asks the question, like if this grown woman can work a full professional schedule, why can't she choose the person to run her own conservatorship? That's a legal case that's being played out in the courts now. Right now, her father is running it, and she would just like a neutral bank executive to run it. Uh, but the documentary does an excellent job of reviewing who, what, and how Britney Spears developed into this worldwide phenomenon, and then how we all stood back and watched her mental health breakdown over the years right before our eyes in the press. Yeah. So the and in some, thing, some ways we didn't only watch it, Leanne. Many people participated in yeah, it. Because we right. were just like sucking up all of this informa so-called information about her. It was kind of mm, a little bit embarrassing to watch yeah. and think, wow, we all kind of let this go on. Right, right. You know, Liz, what was your relationship with Britney Spears? Because I... When she was coming, you know, when her career was at its highest and she was turning out hit after hit, I just didn't relate to her. She was not someone that I listened to. I didn't have full opinions of her. I was like giving birth and then we were starting Satellite Sisters and yeah, I was like yeah. a full-time working mother with two young children. So I was just really vaguely aware of her career, kind of started in a mall. And then she had a lot of hits and she was very popular. And then like, I don't know, something was happening with Justin Timberlake. And well, then she married that other guy. And, and yeah. then she started to really fall apart. But I didn't relate to her as a performer. But I know that a lot of young women in their 30s, young women and men in their 30s and 40s really do relate to Britney. Like she really was, you know, yes. sort of a Janet Jackson or Madonna figure in their lives. Yeah. Were you aware of her stardom? Like, well, I was mainly aware of sort of her as a celebrity gone wild figure. You know, yeah. that was sort of the only way it, it got into my consciousness. But I know like our niece Ruthie, who's in her 30s, she relates highly to Brittany, like that age group of young women and young women watching other young women be treated a certain, certain way by, you know, by the media and by the culture. It is harsh to look back at how how people tore her down just such a wide range of people it was that's the part of the thing that was most shocking to me right there was a new york times journalist many of the well i think all the journalists that were interviewed were from the new york times because they produced the documentary but their uh pop music um contributor he said you know they're there's a there's an infrastructure in America where we build up these young women and then we're more than happy to tear them down. That infrastructure exists and you know once misogyny gets a hold it's over. Right. And that And it's like we we sexualize them and then we tear them down for being overly sexualized. Yes. You know. Yeah. So if when you're when Britney Spears is getting grilled for whether or not she was still a virgin and did she really sleep with Justin Timberlake, I was just Horrified. I mean, it was appalling to yeah. watch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, you know, that was on radio. That was from respected media. You know, there were clips from Diane Sawyer and what's his name over there on the Today Show? 
Matt Lauer. Um, yeah, Matt Lauer of all people. Yeah. I know. You know. I mean, it just the the documentary showed a good job of just like she was in a no win situation, and we're more mm-hmm. than willing with women of young women of a certain age to just tear them down. What shocked me, Liz, was you could literally see her mental health breaking down over the course of these interviews. I mean, those mm-hmm. were the ones they picked, I know, but like mm-hmm. she would physically break down in these interviews when they asked like, is the paparazzi too much? Yeah, it was literally yeah, right. killing her. It was mm-hmm. literally making her crazy. It, mm-hmm. was, it was just really tragic to watch. And at the same time, she's working her tush I know. off. I know, like, right. I yeah. don't think I realized she was still producing as long as she was and still performing and still touring uh, while she was in this conservatorship and while she didn't have full custody of her children. Like someone is making a lot of money off of Britney Spears. Exactly. And when you see that, like even the conservatorship is structured kind of in an unusual way. So right. they're like, they're like her business managers they're right. not her protectors they're not really it's that part is is also there's just a lot in there that was really shocking that you think there she's been sort of out there in the news all this time and you think you know what's really going on with her and you didn't and you don't yeah she definitely was surrounded by people her whole career some of whom seemed to have her best in, the people who had her best interests at hearts didn't seem to know a lot about the business she was in yeah and the people who, you know, knew a lot about the business she was in didn't have her best interests at heart. And in the yeah. middle of this, you know, there were some really not great, you know, some personal decisions you don't really know how or why she made. But it was very tragic to watch. I have to say, the people that came off the worst to me were the paparazzi they interviewed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were hunting her down and hounding her and like, gas stations and bathrooms. Mm-hmm. And then they, have, they get on camera and they're like, well, we were just doing our job. And yeah. in the mint, they're making millions of dollars. Like the yeah. photo editor at Us Weekly, like that's a guy I don't have any, you know, sympathy mm-hmm. for. So it, it was just a, it was very eye opening. And her fans have started this free Britney movement, which again, I didn't really get, but they're really trying to look out for her and say, hey, if she can perform, she should be able to control her own, her own destiny. It, it was, yeah. it's an eye opening documentary. Yeah, and culturally, aside from just Brittany, we have to look at all of the young women who have been through this mill. Right. You know, we sexualize them, then we tear them down for being sexual. The media goes after them. That's a real eye opener. Right. I think we've. I hope we. I hope we've learned a lot in twenty years about this. They. They in the documentary they make the case that um, you know her career was unfolding at the same time as the Monica Lewinsky scandal, and mm-hmm. I thought that was uh, an apt comparison you know mm-hmm. the way that she was treated and and in the press and people have learned over 20 years oh, okay maybe that was too much you know uh, maybe we we handled that all wrong and i think you see that with britney spears and i think with both of them they're they're also reached a point which they allude to a little bit in the documentary like in which it stopped being funny but people kept treating it like it was funny right that's an appalling part of what the culture continued to do right like night comedians all kinds of people like that that she just as she's dissolving she continues to be the the butt of of cheap jokes it's just horrifying right and the idea that oh she's crazy not yeah. she has a mental illness yeah yeah which which leads me into the Alan versus Pharaoh documentary that okay. I've been watching because people 
said the same thing about Mia Farrow, you know, oh, she's crazy, right? That's just the way you just write off women. Oh, she's crazy. Um, okay, so this is a four-part documentary series produced by uh, Oscar and Emmy Award-winning um, documentarians, Kirby Dick and Amy Zierling. And it takes a look at the allegations that Woody Allen sexually abused his adopted daughter, Dylan Farrow, when she was about seven. So, uh, and there's a lot of new information in the documentary. There's new videotape, there's interviews with people like nannies uh, who have never been interviewed before. There are um, transcripts from court document, court documents from cases that we've never seen before. So this is one of those things I didn't necessarily want to tune in, but I mm -hmm. felt compelled to tune in. And mainly I felt compelled to tune in for the Sunni Previn storyline. Okay. Because that was the relationship that ended Woody Allen for me. You know, right. one of the, like the cornerstones of Satellite Sisters we've been saying for 20 years is we don't really support, we don't support Woody Allen because he married his daughter. Right, right. right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's not a joke, right? It's not a joke. It's not a joke. Like, mm -hmm. that was it for us. Whatever happened with Dylan Farrow, like the fact that he married his 21-year-old daughter, that was enough for us to go, maybe this isn't the guy who we want to support in any way. So what I wanted to see was what what's new about that relationship? What did mm -hmm. we know in 1992 when it unfolded? And what do we know now? And first of all, I was surprised that that many years had passed. It's been almost 30 years since they married wow. Uh, wow. Woody Allen and Suni Previn. Um, and when that happened, it was sort of presented like this relationship was normal. Like, oh boy, I was, I was with, you know, Mia Farrow for 12 years, uh, but we never married. And now I'm going to marry my stepdaughter. <laughs> and, um, you know, we were told at that time that, oh, well, he's not really her father. You know, there's no fatherly relationship. They live in separate apartments and they always have. Um, he lives on one side of Central Park and she lives on the other. As if that's a thing. Right. As, oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, then sure. It's fine. Yeah. Right. And then, oh, don't worry. She's 21. And he says at one point in the documentary, I was a bachelor, even though he and Pharaoh had had children together and he'd adopted children. There's just nothing to see here. Don't forget the 35-year age difference. No big deal. But, oh boy, the second episode of this documentary, you know, just lays waste to all of that because you see that the relations, first of all, first and foremost, he absolutely was a father figure mm -hmm. <laughs> in the, in the, in the Pharaoh family. Mm -hmm. You know, she had children that she'd had with Andre Previn, children she adopted on her own, children she adopted with Woody Allen and children she had with Woody Allen. She had eight children. Uh, and he was a part of their lives. They vacationed in Connecticut together, you know, all the time. They went on movie sets together. Uh, he wasn't that thrilled with kids initially, but eventually he built out, you know, bunk beds for all of her kids in his apartment. So this idea, there's photograph after photograph of and film after film of the family all together when Soon Yi's, you know, 12, 13, 14, mm -hmm. and yeah. he's there as her father. Yes. So the relationship started in high school, according to witness testimony, when Sunyi was in high school, not 21. She wasn't college like they pretended. She though was in high school. Uh, they have, you know, court testimony from his maid, his doorman, about, you know, frequent guests, you know, and visits from Sunyi that were sexual in nature. Uh, it was when she was a freshman in college that Mia discovered these um, photos that Woody Allen had taken that were, she said, 
too racy, too raunchy for Playboy is what she Mm. said. Uh, And then you hear tape, like Mia Farrow started taping phone conversations because she felt like Woody Allen was taping phone conversations about him trying to get back to with Farrow and explaining it was just a moment of madness. And I don't, you know, I don't know. And, oh my gosh, Liz, it's just, to me, it just reinforced how much more we know about men who groom girls now. You exactly. Know, and then we did 20, 30 years ago. Right. And, Even the word grooming was not right. something that we no, really used no. or understood. And now you can see all the signs. And you see all the signs in his movies, in not his for movies. nothing. Yes. In his movies. I mean, it's literally the plot of Manhattan. Well, you mm-hmm. know, considered like his masterpiece. The, the, it's It's unbelievable. And there's... Uh, he, you know, he released a, um, a memoir this year. And so they use clips from the audiobook. And he's, he says, this is how he describes his daughter <laughs> slash wife, highly intelligent, full of latent potential and ready to ripen superbly. If only someone would show her a little interest, a little support, and most important, some love. Ew. Ew, Ew. right? Yeah. That's, I mean, he wrote that last year. And, mm-hmm. and it's literally a line from Manhattan. And if you don't remember the plot of that movie, that's where 40-year-old Woody Allen is dating 17-year-old high school senior Mariel Hemingway. Right. He literally uses, it. it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So the Dylan Farrow stuff is, is eye-opening, but mm-hmm. believe me, there's no, I mean, the Sunni Previn stuff is, it really changed, I mean, it, it doesn't change my opinion because that's the opinion I have had of him for 30 years is something's not right about that. When you marry your daughter, it is not right. Right. And you know, we've got to do a better job and I hope that we are taking a look at these sort of predatory behaviors and these comments and, and normalizing that, that insanity. Yeah. That was not right. And so I've watched the documentary. So you, so you don't have to, Liz. I know. And you also, when I said, oh my God, do I have to watch it? Cause I just know it's going to break my heart. You said part of the reason you watched it is because you wanted to understand what was the machinery around Woody Allen that he used to protect himself the way Harvey Weinstein had all that machinery around him to protect him. Right. Or Larry Nasser, for instance, yes, you right, know, I mean, right. it doesn't have to be just Hollywood. We've seen it in sports. We've seen it in every industry now. So mm-hmm. I think we'll get to that. Uh, the court battle starts in the next episode. So I think we'll get to it, but yeah, I was interested, like, why didn't anyone else think that was really weird? Yeah. That he, yeah. that, and it was because it was like, Oh, she's 21. Oh, Mia Farrow's crazy. Yeah. You know, oh, it just, it's, when you look at it, there's just, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense anymore, mm-hmm. but I hope we know mm-hmm. more. I hope we know more. But uh, yeah, so I'll report back uh, okay. once I figure out about the machinery. So, <laughs> okay. All right, All right, there you go. Two, breaking down two documentaries this week. Okay. So now we're moving on to the entertaining part of Entertaining Sisters, mm-hmm. right? Because now it's like a few lighthearted things we can watch, things will lift our spirits. I know I've just gotten to the point where I am fantasizing so much that live theater has started again that I'm mainly choosing and paying for live theater at night. Like if I see something really special on the air, I'm, I'm just sick of watching just episode. Of, well, again, fixer upper, <laughs> fixer upper. So here's what I'm doing tonight. And yeah. any of you will have listened to this after tonight. So I think it will still be available online. Tonight is the 25th anniversary of Rent, Leon. 
Can you believe oh, that? Oh, wow. That's 25, amazing. 25 yeah. years ago. So New York Theater Workshop is doing a big online celebration of Rent, which is just an amazing Broadway show. And uh, yeah, I paid 25 bucks for my ticket. Oh, great. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Report back on your findings. Yes. Good. I'm willing to do that to support the New York theater community and just, you know, celebrate rent and have something to do tonight. Okay. So that's what I'm doing tonight. Rent 25th anniversary. Last weekend, I kept getting, obviously they're on to me on the internet. Uh, they know, they know what I'm liking. So I kept getting in my feed, um, promos for something called simply Sondheim, which is a, um, a show of, 30 songs, 12 singers, 16-piece orchestra, just two hours of fantastic Broadway singers performing fantastic Sondheim songs. So yeah, I paid for that. I watched Great. that. Yeah. yeah. So I would I would recommend if you're if you're craving a little bit of Broadway, simply Sondheim, for me it was worth the money. And then the last thing I just saw, which I thought you would be interested in, because one of your books actually takes place at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Um, Oregon Shakespeare Festival is now streaming a whole series of their shows. This month, it's Julius Caesar. So mm. now through March 27, 15 bucks to see oh, wow. like a fantastic production of Julius Caesar at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. So, um, so that's what I'm doing. I'm living in my make-believe world that theater is happening. <laughs> that's it. Theater is happening. Microwaves are not happening. That's me. <laughs> all right, Liz, you're going to put these links to all these, these links. Yeah. They'll all be in the show notes. Good reminder. Okay. Also in pep talk, uh, the news. Oh yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm just going to mention a couple of docs that are positive. So that won't take you down a rabbit hole of despair and what's wrong with this country. The first is Stanley Tucci's, uh, Stanley Tucci's series on CNN about Italy. Oh my gosh. Have you been watching that at all, Liz? So charming. I could not could, love it more. I know. <laughs> best. He's the best. He's Italian on both sides. He's clearly been to Italy dozens and dozens of times. He speaks Italian and he just has gone to three cities so far. He has three more in this season. It's food. It's great photography. It's Stanley Tucci. There's a little bit of, you know, teaching about various cities in Italy and myth busting. It's just absolutely delightful. Highly recommend on CNN Sunday nights. Also, we watched the Bee Gees documentary uh, the other day and that was great. About, oh, really? Yeah, directed by Frank Marshall about, you know, again, giant, giant worldwide, you know, stars like one day and then the next day disco was dead. And what did that do to, um, to the Bee Gees? But watching the process of them recording uh, the couple of albums, including the Saturday Night Fever album, fascinating, fantastic. It's just a contribute to songwriting and a tribute to great audio engineering. So Sergio, maybe for you, our engineer, uh, because the, the audio engineers are the heroes there in that, in that, um, in that album. But if you want to see the creative process really unfold, really fun to see for that particular album, which was just hit after hit after hit after hit. So even though the Bee Gees sort of have a sad story because they, yeah. they, the two of them are gone and then the brother Andy Gibb died, but it's still, there's a lot of love there. Uh, and it's a tribute to uh, singing and songwriting and families and things like that. So okay. recommend that. that. That's Netflix. I know that will be in the show notes too, but I'm just trying to. I can't uh, even remember where okay. we found it. Okay. It doesn't matter. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll put yeah. it in the notes, Liz. Yeah. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll put a link. And then one last thing we want to mention because a long time listener posted this in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group, Anne, Anne Southcom, 
posted this. I have been listening to the Satellite Sisters since the terrestrial radio days, so I feel they are a big part of my life. Well, that was like back in the year 2000, so that's amazing. They're a big part of my life. I wanted to share some news I'm so grateful for. I have spent 40 years working with animals in captivity in what I call meaning making. And she posts a link to a documentary about her wow. called, called Gorilla Girl. And it's so, she, it looks like a bunch of people in the group have already watched it. I have not watched it yet, but it's about her. And let's see, it's produced by a company called Hardison Films. And again, in the show notes, we'll have a link to where you can watch it. It's on one of those small platforms where you can find things. It's called seagood.tv, but I'll put the link in and you can find it under winning shorts. But Wow. And that is amazing. Congratulations. That's very cool. I was able to meet Anne on a book tour uh, in Ashland, Oregon. I believe she lives in Oregon. And so uh, she came to a book signing of mine quite a while ago, but this is great. Congratulations. That's very cool. That's okay. great. Okay. We have, wow. If you're documentary worthy, that's impressive. So <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's a sh it's a short about her life with gorillas, yeah. and uh, but on her homepage, she's holding a squirrel in. She's a big squirrel fan, and yes. she used to be upset when Sheila would make fun of squirrels. Sheila had a lot a lot of anti squirrel talk, and that that bothered Anne. And that's she came to the book signing particularly to give me a book about squirrels for Sheila. Okay, so, you know she wants people to love the animals, and that's great. Uh, Liz, that Bee Gees documentary is called How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? And it's on uh, HBO. Oh, okay, great. All right. All right. Just a reminder, every week we have pep talk coming out now. That's our newsletter that comes out on Friday. So it's a little pep talk. And then we have lots of links to things and suggestions. And we have show notes there and promo codes and things like that. So um, if you haven't subscribed yet, you can go over to SatelliteSisters.com and subscribe. We're also fully functional on Instagram, at SatSisters, at Leanne Dolan and at Satellite Sister Liz. So you might want to check out our Instagram too, if that's something you do. You know, um, Leanne, you and I were talking yesterday. I might take a crack at pep talk this week. I might, <laughs> I was telling you about how my new hobby is planning fantasy vacations mm -hmm. for when this is all over. And uh, so you thought that seemed like a good topic for a pep talk. So. Great topic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't wanted to, I haven't wanted to put any pressure on you and Julie. I, so I, every week, yeah. I, I, occasionally I send out, anybody got anything for pep talk? No pressure, but, um, so yeah. let's take a crack at it. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to try that. All right. A big thanks to Patty Callahan, uh, for being on the show. Her latest book is called Surviving Savannah. You can find her over at Friends and Fiction on Facebook. Uh, thanks to Sergio Enriquez, our engineer. Thank you, Sergio. We appreciate everything you do. We miss seeing you. A big thanks to our sponsors. Thanks for supporting Satellite Sisters on the Air and Women's Voices. And thanks to our Satellite Sisters and Misters for supporting our sponsors. It really does make a difference. It allows us to do the show. So we appreciate it. Um, all right, our to-do list for the week, uh, Liz. For me, it's a week of kale. I can say oh. that because Julie's not here, but <laughs> I planted a lot of kale uh, you know, before the holidays and it's all coming in now. So I have a lot of kale in my garden. So we're gonna be eating a lot of kale salads. Tonight, there'll be 
butternut squash and kale salad on oh. the menu as the main course. It's oh. a meat, meatless Tuesday, Liz, which okay. is not a thing, but that's what we're having tonight. <laughs> kale, butternut squash salad. All right. Uh, what about you? What's on your to-do list? Well, mine is food related too, Leanne, because my to-do list is what I'm calling one-legged marinara. Because not only is my kitchen equipment going back in my kitchen, but I am going back in my kitchen, Leanne, and I am going to attend. I haven't done any cooking since I can only stand on one leg. It didn't really seem safe, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I feel like I could make up a batch of Mama Capra's marinara sauce without, oh, harming, okay. without harming myself. You know, it was, mm-hmm. the, it was the winner of the Cooking with Leah sauce of the summer. And, you know, there are just many things you can do with a good marinara. Yeah. So I, like, I got all the supplies. And I'm, I wanted to attempt to cook something that doesn't require like standing at the stove for a long time, stirring, watching, watching, because I can't do any of that. But you can like get it started, then it cooks for like an hour, then you mash it, it cooks for another hour. I feel like I can make a marinara sauce on one leg. So I'm going to find out. Wow. <laughs> I mean, huge. These, these are some huge goals you have. These are milestones for me, right? Big, big, big. big. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, Liz, have a great week. You too, Leanne. And don't forget, call your satellite sister.